innovative, often duplicated. When enough people get on the trend, I elevate it. Make it way harder for them to follow what I take. It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea. Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up. So just take your stuff, rake it up, and take the bus. Never fake the funk, you painted skunks. You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space, so the weight is up. Fight. Live from the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsboro, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. And folks, it is fortuitous timing that I speak to you today at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on September 24th because the ADCC uh, weight classes have just completed. So we're going to have a full update for you on the most prestigious Nogi grappling submission tournament in the world. I will tell you what we will remember most about the tournament, about the top performances from all the athletes in the tournament, the best upsets that you might not have gotten a chance to see because the tournament started at 4 a.m. and only a crazy person like I and maybe three other people listening to this would get up to do that and watch all that stuff. We'll tell you about the best matches of the tournament that you can go back and watch later on Flow Grappling. We'll comment on the rules and what this means about jiu-jitsu and just generally recap the most prestigious uh, Nogi Grappling tournament in the world. We're also going to recap the Atlanta Open. Our, our friend Black Belt Caitlin Huggins, who who uh, performed very well at the tournament, is going to call in about 10-15 and recap. Uh, we're going to give you all the results from that, all of what this means going forward, stuff like that. But before any of that, uh, I'm going to give you some news and some notes about the program. So first of all, if you want to get a hold of us and let us know anything that we missed, anything that we should consider more in the future, you can get a hold of us at cagesidewhup at gmail.com. That's cagesidewhup at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash cagesideradio. We are on Twitter and Instagram. Our Twitter is DWB Radio and our Instagram is Dirty White Belt. So please feel free to engage us there. Let us know your thoughts on ADCC, your thoughts on the IBJJF Atlanta Open, your thoughts on anything that we haven't covered in the program should cover in more depth in upcoming events that we ought to cover. And speaking of upcoming events, there are a lot of amazing things happening in the local jiu-jitsu community that I want to make sure that you're aware of. So we're going to talk about that in the news segment. First of all, Toro Cup is coming up. That's October 14th. Now, this is the eighth Toro Cup. And as always, Toro Cup is going to bring you the best possible matches from local grapplers to benefit a, a worthy local charity. This time, it's going to be Warrior Wellness Solutions, which is run by Elijah, Elijah Sacra, who I train with. And it does all kinds of wonderful things for, uh, for military veterans. Uh, Elijah is a veteran of the Marine Corps. And so the event October 14th is going to benefit that. I'm also very excited to announce that we're going to get somebody live in studio that I've always wanted to sit down with for an hour. You've heard Greg Walker's voice on the program before, but the Gustavo Machado black belt, we, we just interviewed him for a couple minutes after one of his Toro Cup matches. I would love to, and I'm going to get the chance to, sit down while Greg's in town for Toro Cup and talk about his grappling career, about his, team, his, his status on Team Gustavo Machado, about being a well-rounded grappler, and the fact that he is now your reigning IBJJF DC Open Black Belt champion holding a win in the finals over DJ Jackson. So a very impressive victory for Greg. Greg's an interesting dude. We're going to be really interested to get him in the studio. So if you want to see us live and watch Greg compete, because his matches are always exciting, you can go to Toro Cup October 14th. That's at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu in Durham, North Carolina, 124 Lotta Road. So show up, watch some tremendous matches, meet some cool people, and support a worthy charity. The other reason that you should go to Toro Cup, not that you need another reason, but for the first time, we are giving a series of awards. The Dirty White Belt Awards are going to be given for the first time this year. Now, we just got all the rules set, finalized, and all the categories, so if you want to see those, you can go to our blog at dirtywhitebelt.com slash blog. We'll have a dedicated page for the awards up soon. And the reason that I mention this in the context of Toro Cup, so we're going to give a series of awards for the match of the year. Uh, for the competitor of the year, for men and women alike, for uh, the most inspirational competitors of the year, the coach of the year. So if you have an amazing coach and if you have tremendous training partners that deserve recognition, which I hope you do or else you should probably be training at a different gym, you should submit those uh, through our blog or email us at cagesidewhoop at gmail.com to know who you think fit the nomination categories. Now, if you don't have access to the internet, in which case I wonder how you're listening to this, 
then you can come to Toro Cup Live October 14th, where Lourdes and I are going to have a booth with nominations. So you can fill out nominations in person, tell us who you think participated in the best matches of the year, who you think the competitor of the year is, who you think the best self-defense instructor of the year was, the best competition instructor. All these different categories we're going to be able to give awards for. Now, these awards are going to cover from Washington, D.C. up in the north all the way to the southernmost point of South Carolina in the south. And so if we get enough nominations, which I hope we will, we'll be able to break out the awards by state as well. One of the main goals for the program is to get people the recognition that they deserve, the hardworking people in the local jiu-jitsu community, and to help to grow this community. And I feel like having some recognition for the folks that are out there working hard every day, training, competing, and teaching is a good way to do that. So help us celebrate the people in the community that are most worthy of celebration. Go to dirtywhitebelt.com.blog or come see us live at Toro Cup on October 14th at 124 Lotter Road in Durham, North Carolina to see some amazing matches, support a worthy, worthy charity, and help support the grappling community. So speaking of the grappling community, the, the weekend after Toro Cup, U.S. Grappling, our favorite tournament organization, holds U.S. Grappling Northern Virginia. That's in Chantilly, Virginia this year on October 21st. Pre-registration is available online at usgrappling.com. You can save yourself a little bit of money and go out and compete against folks that maybe you haven't got the chance to compete with yet. For our last contest that we ran, we ran a sponsorship contest where we, we delivered two sponsorships toward the athletes and gave them a coupon code that they can register at to get a free tournament at U.S. Grappling. It's beneficial for everybody. We hope to do more of that in the future. If you got one of those coupon codes, you can go online to usgrappling.com and use it. If you weren't lucky enough to get one of those codes, go to usgrappling.com now and pre-register so that you can uh, save yourself some money and compete at the best run, best, uh, best attended tournament events around. So one other thing that I want to mention in terms of news, notes, and upcoming stuff, something that we're going to be able to cover live. I had planned on being able to cover uh, the Sarah BJJ Myrtle Beach Submission Challenge this weekend, but unfortunately, uh, life got in the way. We'll talk about that later in the show. But another upcoming event that I'm very excited about at a school that I haven't been to yet is Pro Jitsu's Dark Horse Card on October 28th. That's going to be at Segoy Submissions out in Newburn, North Carolina. There are a lot of very exciting athletes on there. Uh, Cheyenne Safraz, who's been on the program briefly, and uh, is going to compete. Unfortunately, uh, some of the other folks that I was excited to see compete, like Kevin Satterfield, are out with injuries. But I looked at the card, and it's a stacked bunch of competitors in a, in a pro jitsu tournament. So we'll be out there covering that. And uh, and so if you're in the area and want to watch, I don't know if there's going to be a live stream or not, but that's what's that's what's up. So those are the upcoming events that you can attend. And I'm gonna actually I'm gonna foreshadow something. That's going to happen later in the program. Uh, if you watched ADCC, which I hope you're able to catch some of the matches, then you know that one of the most impressive performances was by the legendary Rubens Cobrinha Charles. So Rubens Charles is one of the absolute best of all time, and uh, we'll talk more about him as we celebrate him later. But he is coming to to uh, to Greenville, South Carolina, for a seminar in November. And I've always wanted, I've gotten to meet Cobrinha and pick his brain a little bit. I've never gotten the chance to train with him. And this is something that's worth driving for. And so I'm going to be making the drive down to Greenville, South Carolina. There's at least one other person going in the car with me. But if anybody wants to come down from the Triangle area and is planning on attending that seminar, uh, please hit me up uh, either at cagesidewhoop at gmail.com or through any of the other ways to get a hold of me that you know of. And uh, let's ride down in the car together, learn from a legend of jiu-jitsu, and get the opportunity to, to learn from a guy who is still beating everybody uh, you know, after having competed for like 18 years. So the last thing. Uh, for the news segment before we get into the Atlanta Open results and uh, and get a call from our friend Caitlin Huggins. I want to talk about, you know, so so Frankie Patches, uh, who has been on, was one of the earliest guests on the show, and I encourage you to go check out his show in the archive, uh, has a school in Myrtle Beach, Sarah BJJ Myrtle Beach. And this weekend he had Matt Sarah down uh, for a seminar and to have a submission-only invitation super fight event with some of the most uh, well-respected grapplers up and down the East Coast with a $2,000 ground prize. Now, I had planned, unfortunately, like I said, um, my, my weekend plan sort of went sideways, so I wasn't able to go go down and check that out. I was planning on doing that. Um, but Jason Rao ended up winning that, and he defeated such luminaries as Gibson Saw and Josh Williams to win the $2,000 grand prize. Now, if, we, if you watch Gibson and Josh, um, which I hope you have, and if you haven't, you should Google those guys and check out and check out their matches, then you know exactly how impressive an achievement that is. And uh, so kudos to Frankie Patches for putting on a great event. I wish that we could. I, I think I speak for everyone when I say I would love to see more super fights that were able to offer compensation to the competitors, and we hope to get there in the future as well. 
Uh, but especially to come through a star-studded field like that and emerge victorious is a really impressive achievement. And so congratulations to Jason for that. So those were, you know, so as, as you should be able to surmise, we had a really stacked weekend between the Myrtle Beach event, between ADCC, which we'll get to in the bottom of the hour, and the Atlanta Open. And it is that to which we turn now. On the other side of this break, we're going to break down all the local competitor results from the Atlanta Open, some of the noteworthy things that happened uh, during the IBJJF tournament. And we're going to have Caitlin Huggins, who went 2-2 two and two at the tournament against some of the best competition in the world, including some, some very famous lady grapplers. She's going to call in, and she's going to give us a full breakdown. Just on the other side of this, we're going to talk to Caitlin Huggins and, and, and recap the IBJJF Atlanta Open. Exciting news from Toro BJJ. The best jiu-jitsu gi company just got better. The new Toro BJJ gi comes out in August in just a couple of weeks, designed by yours truly, and it's the best looking gi we've ever done. You know the high quality Toro BJJ products that you get and you see around at local tournaments. Well, the next gi is going to blow your mind. And so we're going to advertise that both here on the program and on DirtyWhiteBelt.com. So be sure to check it out. If you want to know the story behind the gi, how the symbolism came to be, why I designed it the way I did, why I picked the colors the way I did, you can go to DirtyWhiteBelt.com slash blog and hear the whole story. I always like getting products that have a story behind it, especially where I can get them from a local company that supports local athletes, and Toro BJJ does just that. Check them out at ToroBJJ.com or at Cageside Fight Shop in Durham at 124 Lotter Road. So let me take a moment and comment on that beat, which you hear a lot backing our advertisements and our bumpers. That beat is by DJ Minilove, otherwise known as Henry Juan, who is a blue belt that I've trained with for several years and who now trains at Elevate MMA. And Henry, I wanted to just say thanks a lot uh, for supplying some of the music for the show, some of the dopest beats around. Henry is playing out a lot more. And this weekend in Durham, there was Beats and Bars Festival, which is local hip-hop festival. It was the first year. A bunch of me and my friends went out and checked it out. There were some tremendous shows and great... Uh, Really great event uh, that was that was that was I w- that was um, that I was happy to have, be able to attend and proud to be able to support. It was actually organized, so in, you know, in sort of a confluence, it was the event was organized by Tune in the Real Law by John Law, who you hear uh, doing the intro music and the outro music, and so pretty much all the music on the show was by artists that either helped to organize Beats and Bars Fest or. Uh, performed at Beats and Bars Fest. And, uh, you know, if there's interest, I, so H- Henry, uh, DJ, DJ Minilove competed in a beat battle with uh, some of the best beat makers in Durham. And let me tell you, went and checked that out, and there was a bunch of, um, there was some great music. And, like, the whackness quotient was amazingly low. And uh, Henry wound up getting to the finals of the beat battle. And let me just say, as someone that stood in the crowd without hating on anyone, I just want to say Minilove got robbed in the finals. And that's just my opinion. I think that his beats were the best, and he should have won. Instead, he came he came in second, an, an impressive achievement. I have some videos from that, but you know, all the hip hop fans in the audience, uh, you should check out DJ Mini Love. He has a page on SoundCloud that, if you go to the Dirty White Belt SoundCloud page, you will find that link. So, he- thanks Henry for all the great music. Thanks for contributing to the show, and you got robbed, dude. You got robbed. Promise. So, in non musical Dirty White Belt notes, so the Atlanta Open was this weekend. And uh, the IBJJF tournaments are coming closer and closer all the time. There's one uh, actually coming up in Charlotte on October 7th. It's, uh, it's terrific to see the tournaments coming closer and closer. But it used to be that Atlanta was the one that every, everyone went to because a six-hour drive was as good as you could expect for an IBJJF tournament. And uh, so, so there's still a lot of folks that go, go down there to compete. And we had folks that competed from various local schools, from the Triangle, from Charlotte, you know, from Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. A lot of, you know, a lot of my friends from South Carolina also drove up to compete. And so while we don't have a complete uh, list of results, I'm going to give you some of the results that I've noticed coming in that I think folks deserve shout-outs for. And when Caitlin calls in in a couple minutes, uh, great grappling black belt Caitlin Huggins is going to talk to us about her matches and break down some of the observations. So for one thing, a lot of the best jiu-jitsu competitors in the world compete at the Atlanta Open because, for one thing, uh, Alliance headquarters is right there. And so you had you know Gianni Grippo, Osvaldo Cachino, Samir Chantre. Uh, all these guys were, were, were competing. And Fabiana Borges, who ended up competing against Caitlin in the finals, another one among that number. 
And so these are these are very prestigious tournaments. And so I want to shout out some of the local folks that I noticed getting gold, like John Piper uh, from the Charlotte Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu won gold at Black Belt. And, you know, John's tremendous. You know, John has an incredible well-rounded game, is a terrific instructor, and it's always good to see him have success. And so congratulations to John for winning gold at Black Belt. I know his students were very excited. And the Facebook post he made about it I thought was very, w- 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 represented exactly the right attitude, which was, hey, win or lose, I'm going to be back in the gym training tomorrow. To, you know, I love competing, win or lose, and it's always good to challenge yourself. And so, you know, success is wonderful, and congratulations to John on his success. But like, I think that attitude is sort of sort of gives you a window into the reason for success. Another really successful local competitor, John Bagels Telford, took gold at Masters uh, Masters One a brown belt. And this isn't a surprise to anyone who knows Bagels that um, either that he would be competing or that he would be emerging victorious. And so that's a well-earned gold medal. Those are not easy to win. And uh, so congratulations to John. It's always nice to see him out there following his dreams. John is up in Richmond now full-time, and so we don't get to get him in the studio as much as we would like, but I would love to get John back in the studio, because John is making the matches for Toro Cup, as many of you know, and so when we do, we're definitely going to do a Toro Cup recap show, and I would love to get John in the studio for a preview show, if that's possible, so maybe we, he, we can, he can give you a window into some of the matchmaking. And so, John Bagel-Selford, uh, all-around jiu-jitsu practitioner, not only making matches, making medals happen, so congratulations to John for winning gold as well. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. A couple of other guys that I want to shout out for performances. So Team Hubal Carioca is John Shell and Vernon Kirk are, are competing. John, as everybody knows, one of the most active competitors in the world, you know, ranked number fifth in the world at Masters Brown Belt, uh, which happens just because John is out there competing all the time and winning all the time. And Vernon Kirk, who has been competing quite a bit over the last year, both got silver medals. Uh, John, I believe, also got bronze and absolute got bronze and absolute. I could be wrong about that, but uh, but um, but yeah, both of those guys from Team Hubal Carioca did really well. A couple of other notes about them. So Vern uh, got one of the best throws, I think, from the tournament that I saw. And what, what Vern said on his Instagram was probably the best throw he's hit in his life. And it was a left side to drop Sayanagi, which is terrific. And it's one of those uh, Sayanagi throws where the guy lands. It looked like the guy landed on his face. And so, sorry, bro. Hope you're okay. Uh, but, but, but a really, really well-executed throw from Vern, who was also a judo black belt in addition to being a Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt. The other thing I want to mention is that, you know, you've heard us talk about Team Hubao Carioca. Um, and you know, if you listened to the show last week, that unfortunately, uh, Hubao, um, I had a stroke recently. You can go to our Facebook page and a link. Vern has organized a fundraiser that you can contribute for his medical expenses. And we would really appreciate it if you would do that. And so those are some of the, the things that I noticed about the Atlanta Open this time. But I wasn't there in person. And somebody that was not only there in person, but somebody who was there in person competing against some of the best in the world was our friend Caitlin Huggins, Black Belt from Great Grappling. Caitlin, how are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing really great. Got the chance to watch a bunch of ADCC, watch some of the Atlanta Open. It's always good to have a weekend filled with jiu-jitsu. And it seems like you got four really high-level matches. Oh, yeah. I've never had four matches in one tournament uh, since, I guess, I was uh, blue or purple belt. <laughs> yeah, it's tough at the black belt level because, the, you know, the, 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 the pyramid gets a little bit thinner. And so I definitely want to talk to you about your own matches. Uh, before we get to your own matches, though, I would love you to walk us through all your results and, and you know, what, 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 what your, those matches happened. But I wanted to ask, too, did you notice other competitors that you were particularly impressed with? What stood out to you as someone that was just around uh, l- watching other folks' matches at this event? Um, well, my teammates did really well. Um, <laughs> poor Lourdes. She got, uh, accidentally hit in the head and ended up getting a concussion, but, um, apparently still fought a, a few matches after that <laughs> and won a couple. Yeah. So I, I, very... I, I talked to Lourdes about that and I have a question for you about that, which is, so for one thing, you're absolutely right. Like I talked to Lourdes and she, she got a concussion, but continued to compete and won two matches after her concussion, which is extremely impressive. So uh, who is more lucid and coherent Lourdes with a concussion or me just generally? <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably you. Ah. 
She's going to give me some chin pressure for that. <laughs> well, you're too, but, uh, you're too kind as usual. So continue. What, 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 who, who else impressed you, either from your team or from other, uh, from other competitors? Oh, man, gosh, I'm trying to think. I, you know, the ladies, uh, the other black belt ladies, uh, one match that particularly impressed me was Fabiana Borges versus Jacqueline Warren. Um, it was really intense, and it was very technical, back and forth. Uh, just Jacqueline's uh, lasso guard against Fabiana's really just nice, precise guard passing, keeping her elbows in, deflecting it. Like It, it was a really cool match to watch. Mm-hmm. And for those that don't know, Fabiana is one of the most accomplished women black belts in the oh, yeah. you know, two-time pants <laughs> champion. She was. <laughs> yeah. Well, for listeners who might not be as aware, and, and Caitlin did end up competing against Fabiana, and we'd love for you to break down that match in a second, but Fabiana has won the pans twice, two-time Pan American champion, six-time Brazilian national champion, uh, just had, you know won the worlds at both blue and purple belt, uh, w- got a silver medal at the worlds at black belt, and so lo- one of the most really like consistently accomplished black belts uh, in the world. And- yeah. I just want to mention, it's funny, too, because I had a match with her earlier this year uh, at Pan Am's in the Absolute. <laughs> this is my second time having a match with her. And so we we got to watch your match with Fabiana because the IBJJF streamed your Absolute Finals match against mm-hmm. her. And so let's start with that. Like, What did you notice that was different about this match from your previous match with her, if anything? Well, my previous match with her, I think I, I got choked uh, like three to four minutes. I don't know, but it was like it was it was disappointing at the time because it was like I was so pumped to get in there, and you know the thing is I knew who she was then, you know, and I think I the same with Dominica. Like I just psyched myself out because these are my, you know, jujitsu idols, and uh, to go against them is kind of like it's overwhelming and surreal. So uh, the first time I was trying not to psych myself out at the Pan Ams, you know, in the bullpen while she's talking to Bishesha, I'm like, don't psych yourself out. But uh, I tried, you know, and I think uh, I made some mistakes that now in practice and training, like I would not do back then if I were to go back, if that makes sense. Because this time when I went against her, I was like, okay, I know – that I need to defend those collar grips from getting choked. You know, I know not to trust being a turtle for too long. Like, I I learned my mistakes from last time. And I also realized that Fabian is a human being, you know, like anybody else. She's won a lot. But she, you know, she trains like we train. And um, she, you know, has weaknesses too. And so I think uh, I was a little bit more comfortable this time going against her. This Especially is... because, uh, you know, I had just had a match with Anna, and apparently Anna beat Fabiana in her weight division, but, you know, I uh, I beat Anna on points in the absolute, so it's just kind of funny jiu-jitsu. <laughs> jiu-jitsu math is not right. <laughs> well said. Well said. Jiu-jitsu math doesn't work, but, like, I... Yeah. I... <laughs> Mary Holmes says that all the time, too. <laughs> well, it's 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 generally a good practice to listen to Mary, especially about jujitsu. But uh, yeah, I didn't believe her at the time, <laughs> but I definitely do now. But you make a, another super valid point about why I think experience matters, and a lot of times, being the most te- you know, even if you're the more technical person. If you don't have the experience of competing with someone, particularly if it's like, oh, I've seen this person on live streams, I've watched this person, I admire yeah. this person, you might, you know, you might get starstruck, which is why I think most people yeah. do better their second <laughs> tournament, you know, on the big stage. I agree with that. You know, it's kind of like you just got to break dice and mess up, do your rough draft, and then you're like, okay, <laughs> let's refine it continually. Definitely. So, so walk us through your match. So you be so in the absolute. You 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 win your first match against Anna on points, and then with Fabiana, I agree that you you did, you performed like if I'm not mistaken, you 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 uh, you lost on points to Fabiana in the final. Is that right? Yeah. And I I actually that was my second match in the absolute with Anna. I also had a match with Diana Yohei out of Gracie Baja Clarksville, and I've asked people um, online if they have... I know my friend has a recording of my match with Deanna. I don't know if anyone has a match... A recording of my match with Anna, but uh, I had a match with Deanna, um, which I I won by submission with an Ezekiel, and uh, then Anna, and then Fabiana. (laughs) 
So you win two matches in absolute, end up facing, uh, you know, one of the best, you know, the best yeah. competitors in the final. You have to be pleased with that silver medal performance. Yeah, and it's kind of weird because I told you about how impressed I was with uh, Jacqueline Warren and Fabiana's match, right? And um, I had my weight division match with Jacqueline, and oh man, that one kind of mentally wrecked me. Um, I got armbarred, and in my mind, what was pretty quickly. Uh, by Jacqueline, and I kind of pumped that match up in my head, too. So then I'm watching Fabiana and Jacqueline and knowing that I'm going to have to face whoever wins, right? So, you know, you have a big name, and then you have the girl who armbarred me really quickly not too long ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was... It, I didn't expect Fabiana to win, honestly, the way the match was going. And when she won, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get to go against all the women who've attended. I'm going to get get to go against four different female black belts. That's pretty cool. And I don't have to go against Jacqueline again. I get to go against Fabiana. I honestly can't tell you how I felt about that, if that made me feel more reassured or more stressed, you know. <laughs> but uh, it was exciting nonetheless, and I was like, I'm just going to go in there and do jiu-jitsu. You know, whatever happens, happens. I'm happy that I get to go against all of them. <laughs> and certainly there's no easy matches at this level, at the black belt level, competing in the IBJJF, you know, adult category. And like all of those women seem like they were very tough in, 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 oh, yeah. <laughs> in, 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 in different ways. And like, and so if anyone's listening does have video of that match, please do either send it to Caitlin or send it to us and we can post it on the dirty white belt website. You can watch Caitlin's finals match on the dirty white belt website right now. You can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash cage side radio, or go to dirty slash blog. And you can watch Caitlin do her thing. So what is, so it sounds to me like your performance in absolute gives you some confidence moving forward in future competitions. Yeah, definitely. It was what I needed. You know, it, it was like at the time, uh, uh, honestly, I was like, I didn't want to do absolute, um, but I knew I, I knew I just had to, you know. I feel like I didn't have a choice, and uh, you know, I did it, and I'm so glad I did. It really just kind of invigorated me, and just like reminded me of like how important it is to, you know, recompose yourself and go back, and especially when you have students watching and the kids. Like we try to tell them that, so it's important that we give them an example that's good for them to follow. And it sounds like you were able to do just that. Now, one unfortunate thing, apparently there were, there were no women black belt in your division for, uh, mm -hmm. for Nogi today. You had planned on doing Nogi today, but you're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. I, and I mean, the only person who signed up was Fabiana and she was, uh, in an auto bracket, the only one in lightweight and, uh, it, for Nogi. And I was just thinking, you know, like, I don't know if she'll move up or do absolute. And, Honestly, like I've, I had done two no-gi classes in two weeks leading up to Atlanta Open. So in my mind, I felt unprepared. You know what I mean? Um, to do no-gi against one of the best in the world when I barely train no-gi. <laughs> mm -hmm. So with no assurance that she would do the absolute or move up. So it, it wasn't, I guess, in, in my mind worth it. Um, you also don't get points uh, for no-gi that go towards uh, your attendance at Worlds. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, less inclination to do it. Yeah, that's it's weird. I, it's weird that there's a disincentive, but continue. I was just going to say, I really like my gi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of the pajamas too, especially those Toro gis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But like, so the Those downside, are awesome. yeah, right. Toro BJJ. Uh, but the, the, uh, and, uh, oh yeah, the, the new, uh, the new gi design should be out next week, by the way, spoiler alert. So, uh, it's, it's on, it's, it's on the plane back from Pakistan right now. So if, uh, so everybody, everybody get, get hyped. So, um, the downside is you don't get no gi matches today. The upside is you are able to coach some of your friends and teammates. And I know that you have some people that you're planning on coaching and cornering today. So, uh, so who, who are you excited to watch? Who are you excited to see how they do today? Um, I'm excited to see how one of our kids does, uh, Clark Ostendorf, uh, great grappling. He's a uh, low, uh, yellow belt and he's very technical and Josh Murdoch has, uh, spent a lot of time with him, um, one-on-one. -on -one. So I'm excited to see him compete today. Uh, and for the adults in Nogi, uh, Chelsea Kurtzman, she's going to be doing Nogi. Um, she's always fun to watch. 
she was fun to watch yesterday too. She did this beautiful overhead sweep straight to mount. <laughs> For some reason, overhead sweeps just get me really excited, and uh, yeah, it was it was great to watch. But um, she's going as well as uh, Jonathan Kaywell and Joshua Murdoch. Uh, of course, I'm excited to see him compete as well. I think he has Johnny Grippo in his division. Yeah, no, I, I noticed. I was hoping that Josh would get a match with Osvaldo Cachino yesterday, who was in his division. But you know, you wouldn't say no to a match with Gianni. And that, and like the, the thing about all the people that you mentioned, like that I know of, like Josh and Chelsea are all always win or lose, really exciting to watch. Because oh yeah, they go for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Constant attacks, constant you know chaining moves together. And I, I'm actually in concordance with you too. Like, there's nothing like a good overhead sweep. It's like a drop Sayanagi. When you see it, you're just like, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yes, and I got some yesterday. And I was, oh, made me so happy. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, so like, even if I didn't win gold, I got an overhead sweep. <laughs> Indeed, gold, gold is coming. Gold is coming. So, uh, <laughs> so a successful day in the gi. You're looking forward to, you know, I know you have to go and coach your your friends. So, what would in the in the few minutes we have left? Let me just ask, like, what will you take away from this tournament? Or your what? What are are there one or two memories or one or two lessons that you will take away that you will use moving forward? Um, I guess as a lesson, one thing I would take away is you can't just, like, give in to your despair and frustration that it's important to recover. You must recover um, because it doesn't have to be the end result. Your first match doesn't have to be the whole day. It doesn't have to be the end result. It doesn't have to be the end of your jiu-jitsu competitive journey. Um, It's just important to recover. Um, as for another thing I've learned or taken away, I, well, I want to just say, uh, this IBJJF event has been probably the best run IBJJF event I've been to this year. And I've been to a lot of opens, just the coordinators and the rest were, uh, really nice and courteous and everything kind of ran on time. So just wanted to give a shout out (laughs) to IBJJF staff in Atlanta. Um, It's always nice when that happens. Yeah, it is. It's not common, I guess, but uh, it was nice. It was refreshing. Um, but yeah, I think from this competition, I've just learned that it's important, to, like I said, to recover and to come back and to move on to your continual progression. Anything can happen in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, we all know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess I have one last question, which is you probably didn't get to watch any of ADCC, did you? Not really. I've been hearing about it all the time because CJ's been glued to his phone <laughs> watching the matches. Yeah, well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna break that down for the rest of this show. But like, I will just say, like, one of the the most impressive performances that you should check out when you get, when you when you get a minute. Nogi is Elvira Karpinen from Finland upset Mackenzie Dern in the first round and really deserved to win that match. So that was uh, a, you know a pretty shocking upset, but also it wasn't it didn't look fluky. It looked like wow, you know, this is this is a person that you know you didn't you didn't you didn't get lucky and you didn't just catch her it was you know that was a good performance so so mm, always lots definitely of... check it out <laughs> awesome well caitlin best of luck I th- congratulations on your silver medal i, I know it's got to feel you. good in the absolute yeah we're all rooting oh, yeah. for you always and um <laughs> and best of luck to to all the people that you're uh, watching and coaching today thank you so much jeff We've talked to you about Cageside Fight Company on the program before, and Cageside.com is still the best place to get all of your fight gear needs. No matter what martial art you practice, you'll find something at a great price with tremendous customer service on Cageside.com. A couple of things available on the site right now. There's more than 50% of the Cageside best part of waking up rash guard. For those of us that do early morning jiu-jitsu, we know these are high-quality rash guards that speak to our particular interests. There's also some terrific Muay Thai shin guards, the Cageside tank shin guards, which are super high-quality and because we just did let leg kicks at class this week are on my mind so if you need some striking gear check that out whether you grapple whether you strike whether you do both you won't be sorry that you went to cageside.com
So that's Caitlin Huggins, and it's always great to to get the first hand on the ground reports. One of the one of the things that we'll do uh, when we're talking about we'll talk about ADCC in a minute, but we're getting uh, live updates from Betty Broadhurst, who is on site in Finland. It's, it's always nice to get the people's perspective who are actually in the arena, you know, to coin a phrase. And so, you know, I, I see the results coming in on Facebook. I'm able to watch some of the streams from the Atlanta Open, but it's always a, a pleasure to talk to someone who's there, who's watching the matches, and who's competing in the matches. And so. You know, there are no easy matches at the Black Bolt at all level, like, period. And so for Caitlin to win two matches in the Absolute Division and only lose to Fabiana, who's one of the, you know, one of the, the elite, is a really tremendous performance. And uh, I think that, you know, we would all do well to heed those wise words about uh, about uh, not giving up and not giving in to your despair. So thanks to Caitlin for that interview. We will continue to watch, root, and support her and watch our page for more updates. And on the other side of this, we are going to talk to, we're going to talk about ADCC. So I mentioned at the top of the show that this timing is really coincidental. The adult uh, divisions all ended about 9.30 a.m. and we record the show live at 10 a.m. East Coast time. So I just want to acknowledge that Absolute is still going on at ADCC and we'll follow those results. We've been posting live threads for people to update on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash cagesideradio. But uh, we're also going to run through all the brackets right here live. So it's really kind of cool for me to be able to get up at four in the morning, watch all the matches and then come in and, uh, and then, you know, and, and recap the event. So, uh, thanks a lot for tuning in everybody. I had hoped to get one of my other fellow grappling nerds who got up at four in the morning to watch into the studio. That wasn't possible this time, but still we're going to go over what we're going to remember most, some of the best performances from the tournament, some of the best matches and we'll talk about the upsets as well. So this was a fun ADCC. It was interesting because a lot of the it, it felt like a lot of the top guys uh, weren't there, and either because they thought they were going to get invited and didn't, or you know, unfortunately there were some injuries. Eddie Cummings, uh, Bruno Frazado, both injured at the last minute, which is you know super sad. But we, but it was still a fascinating event that feels like in some ways a changing of the guard. And so, but, 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 but it's not as simple as that. And so let's just dive right in. I'm going to mention what, what I think we will remember most. I think we will remember, first of all, that this as the Ryan family coming out party, like a lot of people, uh, you're huge fans of the John Donaher team and have been sort of pumping up Gordon Ryan and Nikki Ryan for a while. And there's been some pushback against that. But with Gordon Ryan winning his first ADCC and becoming the first American at his weight class to win ADCC, you know, nobody can deny his success anymore. Like, and the, and he looked amazing. And we'll, we'll talk about some of his matches in a second. But it wasn't just Gordon. It was Nikki Ryan who became the first or the youngest ADCC competitor ever. And at 16 years old, you know, put on, a very impressive match against AJ Agazarm. You know, nearly had a couple of heel hooks on him or like had some very effective heel hook attacks against a, a seasoned competitor at the elite level who is much older and larger than he is. And so I think people will remember this ADCC 2017 as the year that we really learned Gordon Ryan is for real for real. And we saw the real rise of Nikki. And, you know, I don't mean to intimate that there were folks that didn't believe that. I mean, I, I did... I, there were obviously folks that believed in Gordon Ryan before this tournament. But I think, you know, when you win ADCC, it is impossible to win ADCC, uh, ADCC and not considered to be at the elite of the elite level. And so I think that's what people will remember. I think people will also remember the upsets. Um, and specifically, like, you know, most people that watch the tournament and have followed online know that Leandro Lowe uh, lost his first match by submission that Mackenzie Duran lost her first match by submission. But there was a particular 
there was a particular division where the, the, the upsets were much crazier. And so the 88-kilogram division for the men, there were five out of, out of the eight matches, there were five upsets. To give you, to put that in perspective, um, in the 66-kilogram division, there was one upset. In the 77-kilogram division, there was one upset. In the, the heavyweight division, there were two. So five upsets and just really crazy brackets. Now, the author of two of these big upsets was a man that you, whose name, that you, if you haven't heard it already, you're going to hear it a lot more, is Craig Jones. Craig Jones is an Australian black belt who has an instructional out on the Z guard, but and you know and and has been one of those good but not great grapplers that we've watched in events like this, you know, and his performance from 2015 ADCC to this was night and day. So Leandro Lowe was one of the favorites. I actually had picked him to win the entire division. You know, a lot of folks considered him the pound for pound best. And Lowe can't, you know, and, and yes, he's not a Nogi specialist. And yes, he's put on some 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 bulk to try to compete in, w- with people like Buchecha in the absolute division. Yes, all, all of those things. But Craig Jones really dominated him. And Lowe just couldn't deal with Craig Jones. And Jones ends up finishing him by rear naked choke. So that's one thing people are going to remember a lot. The thing is, you know, I, I think we know from grappling history and just from competing, anybody can get caught. You know, anybody can have a bad day. Anybody can have an amazing day. And so one match doesn't always tell you something. You know, uh, you know, you might be able to say, okay, it was a fluke. Okay, you know, maybe, you know, th- there are all manner of excuses that you could make for one match. Not that anyone was making an excuse about this match, but, but you could. So his next match, Craig Jones goes up against Murillo Santana. And you've heard us talk about Murillo on the show a bunch before. He's one of the, the guys that we have the most respect for on this show. Just a, a truly brilliant martial artist who hadn't lost a no-gi match by submission since 2011. And Craig Jones flying triangled him. And when I saw this happening, I was actually in disbelief. And at first I was like, oh, there's no way he's going to get it. And it didn't look tight. And and when Murillo tapped, it was like, wow, it felt like a moment of great significance. And, you know, we talked about the Gordon Ryan coming out party. That really felt like a Craig Jones coming out party. You know, I've talked with Andrew Bittner um, offline, you know, who's one of the guys that, like me who was <laughs> up early in the morning watching this. And he he thinks that, you know, Craig Jones's game really works well as a counterpoint to the low, to low and Murillo Santana. And whether that's true, I mean, and, you know, and I trust Andrew's analysis of that. But I will say this. Like, you don't submit two of the best in the world back-to-back by, by mistake. It's not a fluke. It's, uh, you know, this is a guy that authored two incredible upsets back-to-back. If he had beaten either of those guys, we would be talking about it. If he had beaten either of those guys on points, we'd be talking about it. But to submit both in a row is one of the most impressive performances, and that's something that I think we will remember. So barring those things, I want to list what I consider three of the top performances by, by grapplers at the tournament amidst a host of outstanding performances. And so the first one I want to mention uh, is Rubens Cabrinha Charles. And this is going to be no surprise uh, to anybody who's followed uh, jiu-jitsu and grappling over the years because Cabrinha is one of the best ever. And I think that my admiration for him is well documented, you know, and, and not just mine. But, like, I want to lift up exactly what Cobrinha achieved here. So not only does he go all the way through the bracket, not only does he beat Apollo Miao that looked to be on fire. I mean, Apollo Miao looked like a monster. It really dominated Gio Martinez, beating Gio Martinez in the in the game that, that, you know, those guys play a fairly similar game in a lot of respects, and Paulo just looked to be two steps ahead. Paulo looked as good as I've ever seen him, and Cobrinha was still able to win. And then we get to the final. And, you know, Rubens Charles is 36 years old. I think he turns 37 next year. Um, I, and, and so, you know, still, you know, still, still in, in the athletic time when you, can, when you can make things happen. But certainly not, you know, a 23-year-old that can jump out of the gym. And he went up against AJ Agazarm, who had cut weight to, you know, to make this, uh, to make this weight class, the 66-kilogram weight class, a beast of a wrestler, a guy who has really tremendous technique, and who, frankly, whose game is really well suited for the ADCC rules because a- because AJ is really tough to submit, and he's a good wrestler. So, and the ADCC rules privileged those types of athletes, and so you had for the final, uh, you had AJ going up against Cobrinha. And so you have Rubens Cabrini, who is smaller, who is older, who is less strong, who has less of a pedigree in wrestling, going against someone who has really optimized his weight to compete at a level that, you know, he, that, you know, he's the biggest guy in the category for sure. Several of the guys that I talked to were really shocked that they even made weight, especially with, with, um, with Justin Rader missing weight. And so Cabrini dominates this match. 
And what was really surprising was I was listening to the, to the ADCC commentary uh, with Sean Williams and, and Sean had expressed like, man, you know, you, you get in ADCC, a lot of people listening to this know you get a negative point if you pull guard during the points round. And so Sean Williams says, you know, hey, Cobrini's jiu-jitsu is so good. Maybe it's a it's the best thing for him to just pull guard, take the negative point and then just work his submissions and see you know, see if he can, you know, because he doesn't, he, because Sean didn't think that AJ could keep up with Cobrinha over 20 minutes. And I thought that was a pretty wise move. But Cobrinha made a different choice. Cobrinha elected to wrestle with him. And he won. He got two really impressive takedowns on, on AJ. AJ wasn't able to initiate any offense at any point during the 20 minute match. And Cobrinha had all the offense took on the wrestler at his own game and won. And I am just, I cannot tell you, you know, how impressed that I was with that performance. He made the choice to to go into the lion's den and came out victorious. And, and you know, and you should know if you don't already, Cobrinha hasn't lost a tournament this year. So congratulations to Rubens Cobrinha on the Grand Slam. Another top performance that I want to mention, the final one of my three top performances is Bia Mesquita. So B has been one of my favorite athletes for a long time, and I think people forget about her, and particularly forget about her no-gi game. And uh, so in this tournament, she was able to beat not only the legendary Michele Nicolini, but also um, she beat Bianca Basilia, who looked like an animal, and who defeated Talita Alencar, who uh, won the Worlds this year. And so and Bia looked uh, phenomenal in that match. Ended up winning by rear naked choke, and so a flawless submission victory for Bia Mosquito. Those are the, so. Those are the three top performances, other than the ones that I already cited that I really that I really mentioned. So I want to return to the upsets for a second because, so we talked about three top performances. I want to tell you the two upset specials. I'm not going to belabor the Craig Jones point because you already know about that. We've already talked about that. Craig Jones clearly that is the upset people are going to be talking about probably for the rest of Craig Jones's grappling career. Those two upsets. But I don't want Elvira Carpenin to get lost in the shuffle because Elvira Carpenin took on Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie Dern, who was who was a lot of people's pick to be the best f- female jiu-jitsu athlete currently competing, and a lot of people's pick to win the division. And Elvira Carpenin went out in her home country, which was also kind of cool to see. It was kind of cool to see the crowd get behind her. And Elvira Carpenin really deserved to win this match. Like it was, she didn't catch her with a fluky submission. She really played a positional game smarter and better uh, than, than Mackenzie did. And she ends up winning by four points to two and in a really gritty performance. So Mackenzie winds up, uh, you know, so, so Elvira sweeps Mackenzie to go up two nil and Mackenzie sweeps back to score two points. And then, you know, and and we're like, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe the favorite's going to take over, but no, Elvira sweeps again. And so now the pressure's on Mackenzie, and she ends up getting her in sort of Mackenzie during patented omoplata, where she's where she's going for an omoplata that can also set up a crucifix type position. And Elvira just gritted it out and defended for the last you know thirty or so seconds of the match, and so performed one of the most impressive upsets and something that I know she'll always remember, um, and something that I will always remember from this tournament as well. So, what were some of the best matches? So, like I, I recognize that a lot of the folks that are listening to this to this podcast didn't get to see the event, or at least you haven't gotten to see the event yet because maybe you didn't get want to get up at four in the morning two days in a row on your weekend. Understandable. So you might be asking, what matches do I absolutely have to go back and watch? Um, I've listed a few of them. I'm going to list three more. Uh, you know, you can go back and, and, and you can watch the whole event and you won't be sad. But the three matches that I would, if I were, if I, if you were to take my advice, the three matches that I would advise you to go back and watch, I would advise you to go watch Felipe Pena against Yuri Simoes. And Yuri ends up winning his second ADCC in that match. And this was an action-packed match between two guys at the top of their game, both of whom are really fun to watch and whose games, I think, really match up well against each other in terms of watching an event that is combination, that is both a strategic battle as well as a physical battle. And they're both big dudes that move really well. And so that is a match that uh, that I think that you definitely ought to go check out. And congratulations uh, to Yuri on his win. Another match, and this is one that I was I was really upset was a first-round match. It was just super unfortunate that Bianca Basilia ended up going against Talita Alencar in the first round. And this was one of the scrappiest matches I've seen. And, and Talita is a fighter. And I know that she's returned recently to California to get better training in preparation for this tournament. And I think this match could have easily been, if not the final, a semifinal. And it was, and it was a match that kind of got a little chippy. There were some, uh, 
there was an accidental headbutt that might not have been an accidental headbutt. There were there was some cuff upside the head. Both women got warned. Um, and there was just constant, relentless forward pressure and aggression from both of them in, in round one. And Bianca ends up winning on referee's decision, ends up going to the finals uh, to compete against Bia, where Bia, where Bia wins. But like, I, th- so this was definitely a match that is worth returning to and repeating and watching. Uh, but I also want to mention, you know, just very, very, very clearly that uh, could have been the final. Could have been the final. And so it was somewhat disappointing that this year's IBJJF world champion went out in the first round. I would have loved to see Talita and Bia compete as well. But, you know, Bianca won that match and props to her. So the, the, the other match that I would really recommend people go back and watch is the Cabrinha versus AJ match. It was just a virtuoso performance. And even like a lot of people don't like watching wrestling. But, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I disagree with that. And so, so you know, and if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm allowed to throw in another match here, which I am, uh, the JT Torres final against uh, against Lucas Lepre was another match that is well worth watching for for two reasons. First of all, both of these guys are extremely well rounded. I think Lucas is arguably the most well rounded jiu jitsu athlete currently competing, and is just smooth and really incredible to watch. And JT, part of what makes this match I think really a pleasure is the story because JT had a serious knee injury, and over the last two years really hasn't competed much. And so for him to get into a match against like Legitimately one of the greatest of all time, uh, you know, and I think no one would argue with that about Lucas and someone who's, you know, uh, it's a no-gi match with lots of movement. Lucas known for his exceptional movement and exceptional transitions. And for JT to be able to come back and win this match is, I think, something that's incredibly impressive. And it was just, it was a really fun, fun match. What wound up happening, like most of the, and, and I'll use this as a, uh, as a transition to talk about the rules because I want to talk about the rules in, in the last 10 minutes that we have. What made this match exciting was it was a wrestling battle plus. So the guys battled back and forth for takedowns. But it was also a match that sort of came down to the last couple minutes, and which you kind of suspected it would given the quality of these athletes. And not only did it come down to the last two minutes, we got to see, I think, the best of both guys. And so what winds up happening is JT has been working a takedown, eventually off of Lucas Lepre's sprawl, JT ducks under, ends up, attacking the back and ends up getting back points uh and you know in at adcc rules that's three points and so lucas escapes winds up coming up on top and without a minute to go lucas is on top in jt's open guard now if you know anything about lucas lepre's passing you know that it is smooth it has incredible transitions it you know he switches sides really well and so so for the last minute we got to see lucas lepre uh, moving Nogi again, you know, and, and trying desperately to get past that guard to to tie the score and, and send the match uh, to overtime or ref's decision, and uh, and unfortunately for Lucas, he wasn't able to do that. But like, you know, I was, you know, the other thing about this is both of these are two of the most likable and nice guy athletes that you meet in jujitsu, you know, and both stone killers and incredible athletes. But it was just really cool to watch this sort of battle of mutual respect between two guys that are outstanding and uh so so lucas ends up taking a silver medal jt torres ends up winning his first adcc really happy for him it's been a long road and that's a match that's definitely going back uh, that's worth watching so as i mentioned absolute is going on right now we're gonna you know so we're gonna uh, that those are gonna be uh, those are my observations. If I got anything wrong, feel free to let me know in the comments. <laughs> and uh, we always love discussing jujitsu on the show. But I also want to, in the last few minutes we have left, to talk about the to talk about rule sets, because when you watch ADCC for the first time, and I know that, that some of you that's 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 either happened already or it's going to be happening, you're a little bit surprised that a lot of these things end up you know, what looks like wrestling, what looks like submission wrestling more than it does what we are taught to think of as jiu-jitsu. Now, the reason for that is because the rule set is different. The rule set, as many of you know, uh, you you penalize guard pulling. If you end up on the bottom, you lose points uh, once it goes to the points match. For the first 10 minutes, it's sub only. Then after then the next 10 minutes, they go to points, but you're not really encouraged to pull guard. And there's some good justification for that that we'll get to in a second. Um, you know, so the point schema is just a little different. And a lot of times, like it, the last time Rafael Mendez lost to Cobrinha was at ADCC 2013, and it ended up because it was basically a wrestling match. And uh, and so so this creates matches that look maybe a little different than what we're used to seeing. So I want to make two points about this. 
The first is that every rule set is valuable and that the best guys would be successful under any rule set. And you sort of see that when you watch this, but that systems produce different outcomes. And so some people that would be very successful in a true sub-only format are less successful in a modified sub-only format or less successful in a points format or whatever. The second point I want to make is that rules, because like, you know, rules are produce outcomes and rules are driven by two factors. They're driven by combative value and they're driven by watchability. And we have to be honest about that. So the combative value, like part of why the jujitsu point system was created was to privilege positions that would be useful in a real fight. You would really like to mount someone in a real fight. You really would not like to be mounted. So it's worth a lot of points. Same with taking the back. Right. And so a lot of folks say, well, this is why takedowns should be should be should be really privileged should be a lot of points because in a real fight you don't want to be on bottom you don't want to get taken down there are many counter arguments to that as well because you know conversely like if you do get in a real fight you're probably gonna if you're not a jerk that goes around picking fights you're probably going to wind up on bottom because you're probably going to get surprised and so it's really important to develop a good guard to develop a good escapes good submission defense and a good bottom game and i think there are good arguments to be had on e either side and so that's why I want to return to like sort of the core argument. Like my purpose in this is to talk to folks that haven't watched ADCC before and sort of explain why it may look a little different than other tournaments that you watched, but also to sort of explain why I think people should compete under multiple different rule sets because different rule sets pr privilege different outcomes and create different match styles. And it's good for you to be well-rounded. And so let's say, for example, you have really great takedowns. All right. And you know you can take everybody down. It's good for you to compete in a tournament where that where that accentuates your rule set because it incentivizes you to get better at what you're already good at. But it's also good for you to, to take part in matches where people can pull guard against you, because if you know you can take everybody down. OK, cool. That shouldn't that, that's wonderful. And that's a skill should always be cultivated and developed, but it also shouldn't become a crutch, you know. And so similarly, I think the flip side of that is what happens at ADCC for, for a lot of jiu-jitsu guys, which is why certain jiu-jitsu athletes that compete really well in IBJJF formats or in other formats do not always compete really well in ADCC because they're used to being able to pull guard. And it's like, hey, if I can, if I can pull guard and I know the only way the other guy can score is to pass my guard and my guard's really hard to pass then that can become a crutch for them, right? Where where you, you know, hey, I can always just sit down. Well, in, in a tournament where sitting down is not an option, it forces you to develop other aspects of your game. And so if you think about this from a perspective of like making your jujitsu as good as it possibly can be, it helps you if you, ha if you are forced to get out of your comfort zone, right? Comfort zones are not where growth occurs. And so the same is true for true sub only, versus modified sub only because if you know that there's no points involved at all you're going to roll a different way than okay well i can i have to submit him in the first 10 minutes but after that there's points and that's going to going to going to increase your ability to think strategically so how does this manifest and like I, I, a name that i haven't mentioned so far is gary tonin and i'm going to mention him just in the last couple of minutes because i think that one of the interesting things about one of, one of the sad things is that every rule set has some limitations. There is no perfect rule set. People can have their favorites, both either for that entertainment value or for the combative value. People can have their different rule sets, and that's fine. But we have to acknowledge there is no perfect rule set. And one of the things that bums me out about points is that I think a lot of times it disincentivizes attacking. And so guys like in the, on the national level, Gary Tonin or Ethan Krellenston, who had a, a match against AJ Agazarm that I think most people who watch that match would agree that Ethan was more effective than AJ and had much better submission attacks and much more of a chances of finishing the match and was more active. But Ethan went for submissions, ended up on the bottom. AJ ends up getting two points for coming on top. And even though Ethan very nearly broke AJ's arm, very nearly choked him, ends up losing. And this happens in certain tournaments like that, and we just have to accept it. Gary Tonin's another really good example where you see him going for the finish all the time and he doesn't seem to be the type of person that wants to play the game of points, right? And, you know, locally, a, a guy like this that, you know, and so I think with Tonin, a lot like another guy that we've had on the podcast, a bunch, David Porter, that sort of don't want to play the points game. Um, I think there are certain forms, you, you, watch, you watch them sometimes and you're like, ah, oh, you know, they, they don't win, even though they win a ton, they don't win as much as, the, as they would have if they would play that points game. And so that was something that I that I that I uh, that I noticed from that, and it's just something I want to get in y'all's minds is that like there is no perfect rule set, and so 
when we are competing, so when we are watching, we have to acknowledge there's no perfect way to say, like, this guy is 100% better than that guy. This lady is 100% better than that lady. Because different people are better under different rule sets. And when we approach that as a competitor, we also have to say, look, if I'm really going to grow and make my jiu-jitsu as good as it possibly can be, I need to compete in all these different formats and do some types of experimentation. Anyway, that's what I think. I could be wrong. And if I am, I invite you to interact with the show on Facebook. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash cagesideradio. We're always online at dirtywhitebelt.com. You can check out our blog there. If I missed anything, if I left anything out, please do let me know. Um, I'm at, uh, you know, we, we, I gave you the, the Instagram, Dirty White Belt, and the Twitter, DWB Radio. I want to also say a shout-out to Lourdes. I hope you feel better soon. Uh, you're a warrior, and congratulations on your success, especially after getting your bell rung. I hope that you recover quickly. My name is Jeff Shaw. The co-hosts of the show are Lourdes Cantu and Betsy O'Donovan. We will be back at you next Sunday when we will be talking to local MMA fighter Samantha Seff about her upcoming title fight and headline fight that um, that is going to come up. We'll talk about the role of jiu-jitsu in her training, and we'll preview that for you. So Sammy's always an entertaining guest, and you'll want to come back with that. My name is Jeff Shaw. This is Dirty White Belt Radio and WHUP. Thank you for listening, and we will see you all next week.